Welcome to the Gurdu Amazing Podcast. This is Tony Mays. Uh, I am very happy and blessed today to have uh, one of the guys that's been an inspiration to me. Uh, and ever since I saw him on his Jocko Podcast 171, I believe, where he kind of talked about his story a little bit and and uh, and his journey and his path and 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 how he is inspiring people all, all over the country right now. And his name is Matthew Bradford. He is a corporal, uh, retired retired from the Marine Corps, was a corporal, grew up a Kentucky Wildcat fan. Uh, I'm sorry about that, but I mean, it's uh, I'm a Wisconsin Badger fan, so I'll, you can give me grief on basketball, but probably not much else, I think. So <laughs> uh, I grew up in Winchester, Kentucky, moved to Dinwiddie, Virginia. On September 11th, you were a freshman in high school watch the terrorist attacks and knew you wanted to join the military. And in 2005, you enlisted in the Marine Corps. And we'll talk about that a little bit um, as well. On two, January 18th, 2007, so a little over 14 years ago, you were severely injured after you stepped on an IED in Haditha. And it put you on a detour and you learned the true meaning of overcoming and adapting. Uh, you didn't know the extent of your injuries until you woke up three weeks after the blast. And that's been one of the things that's most, ins most inspired me is, is how over the last couple of years, I've watched your journey as you try to inspire people to share your story. You have uh, a hashtag, no legs, no vision, no problem. So uh, Matt, just welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on your podcast and looking forward to chatting with you for the next few hours. Yeah, so so tell, tell me where you're at right now, uh, kind of family-wise, health-wise, and then we'll kind of go back from there. So uh, currently living in Nicholasville, Kentucky, which is a few miles from Lexington. It's easier to tell people I just live in Lexington. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just uh, hanging out here at the house on this hot summer day. It's I went out on, got on the bike yesterday, and it's like 95 degrees here, and it was just miserably hot. And but uh the family's well we're just uh just getting by and i think i think summer's finally here we've had a couple cool days but i think the heat is finally here now mm -hmm. yep now you are a uh double amputee below the knee and you lost your vision as well as part of the ied is that right yep below the knee on one side and above the knee on the other side on the other. i always tell okay. people i wanted one of each so <laughs> just to get the complete set kind of thing yeah exactly i gotta yeah. change it up yeah yep Yep. Um, but you went out for a bike ride yesterday. <laughs> uh, it, it's interesting. Cause like back in January, I got the Apple watch and my wife was like, the one cool thing about the Apple watch is the workouts. And for the month of June, my workout was, I had, to, I had to eclipse the seven day move ring, which is like doubling my calories okay. for seven days. And I was at six yesterday. So I'm like, all right, I'm only got one day left of June, so I got to do it. And so mm -hmm. I sucked it up and went out on the bike in the garage. And again, it was like 95 degrees, but <laughs> I ended up burning, I think it was like 600 calories, but I reached my goal and I closed out that ring for the month. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, that's just crazy. And you have, I, I think you have, do you have two children or, or how Three. many kids do you have? Three children. Okay. Wow. Okay. How old Three are they? Home, yeah. Okay. How old are they? 18, 18, 15 and nine. So, um, wow. um, yeah, we have my nine-year-old, she's up in Rhode Island with my mother right now or okay. with my wife right now and, uh, her mother. Okay. So they, they, they flew up on Monday. So I'm just meeting two older kids and just kind of trying to run this house and, you know, going through a, a closet bedroom remodel and 
all the, the day the you know the odds and ends of daily living you know try not to burn this house down that's the most important thing especially with an 18 year old yeah i can see how that can be a challenge at a time plus yeah. another teenager in the house yeah most definitely yeah they, they, they just stay in their room a lot of times so it's just me kind of navigating the thing but they, they're very helpful so sure sure so you grew up in winchester kentucky you want to talk about that a little bit and and kind of get we'll step back a little bit to kind of what got you on your path to the Marine Corps a little bit. And did you have military family growing up at all or anything like that? You know, on my dad's side, I did a lot of, a lot of my family members did serve in the military. And then, you know, on my mom's side, my, my grandpa served, but you know, I, I was born in Petersburg, Virginia when my dad and mom were still married. They, he worked at Fort Lee for the defense commissaries okay. agency there and their headquarters are based out of Fort Lee. So, like I lived there a few years, but you know, by that time my parents were getting divorced and then all of my family is from central Kentucky. My dad even grew up in North, Northeast Kentucky as well. So okay. we come back here to live and um, basically lived here all the way up until right after my freshman year in high school, which was the uh, summer of 2002 when I went to go visit my dad. Um, as I, as I did every year for summer vacation, I just decided to stay. My dad was like, um, you can come, you're going to come live with me now because there were some struggles back home in Winchester from, you know, from my mom and all this stuff. And it, it just wasn't the right path for me to venture down. And, and honestly, I don't know where I would be today if it wasn't for my dad to say, Hey, you're going to come live with me because getting me in that, a right environment, you know, you know, somebody who was structured, who had work ethic, who taught me how to like, you know, be just, just, just learn to work for anything, you know, and, mm -hmm. but it also put me in the right place, you know, being near a military base. And um, again, I don't know where I'd be today if it, if it wasn't for my dad, because I know, you know, just like all over this country, but especially in central Kentucky and in the mountains of Kentucky, like the opioids and the drugs, it's, it's a problem. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was, I was very blessed that my dad stepped up and was like, Hey, you can come live with me now. Was it, the kind of thing you had started having like trouble with the law a little bit or not quite that bad yet or it was just family dysfunction from the divorce and your mom and things like that it's just family um like, yeah. my, like my parents have been divorced for such a long time so that wasn't a problem but it was just um like i was good because i would just go outside and play sports all day and, and i'd be out of the house <laughs> yeah and it, it, so I, I wasn't but my grades started kind of was getting affected by it and it, it was just you know looking back on it now and seeing you know friends I had then who were straight A students struggle you know to even graduate and yeah so it's like and you, you see the whole like my my older brother he got into a lot he partied a lot and he partied a lot in our basement and you know bringing that stuff into our house it was just yeah it just wasn't a good environment for a you know a ninth grader for me at that time mm -hmm. it was awesome of your dad to step up like that then and and did you appreciate it at the time or were you all for it the move to stay with I, your dad you know at that time i i, I didn't uh, i do a lot more now because i understand because you know when i was a i just pat i just you know moved on i'm getting ready to become a sophomore in the middle of high school and now i'm changing schools into a different state a different town and mm -hmm. yeah that's hard on me you know it's like i'm leaving all my friends and and like i left my friends but i didn't even tell them i were leaving because i was just going to visit my dad for the summertime and uh, you know, back then it was there was no text no messages, <laughs> Facebook, none of this stuff. So 
there was no communicating unless I had their phone number or I was going to get a pen and paper and write a letter in the mail. But, hmm. but I know when I moved to Dinwiddie, um, it, 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 the community and the students of the high school, like they welcomed me to that community. And I actually just saw one of my best friends um, last week when I was visiting my dad and, and I met him as we worked um, together at one of my neighbor's house. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was the one that kind of got introduced me to a lot of the people at school and, you know, getting in with him and his family really like led me into the right direction of meeting the right people. That's awesome. So 10th, 10th grade through graduating, was that Dinwiddie? It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yep. Okay, cool. So th- there must have been, were there a lot of military kids at the high school as well? There was actually uh, two of my classmates who I graduated with. They went through the late entry program into the Marines as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, they weren't the ones that kind of pointed me into the direction of the military, but they were the ones that kind of introduced me to the Marine Corps recruiter. You know, we graduated high school on a Friday and by Monday they were on a bus headed to Paris Island. And then, um, <laughs> you know, there's a couple other classmates that was a year before me ended up going into the military and, you know, in 2003, four and five, the, like, it was the, the people going into the military was increasing so much, you know, yeah. and yep. uh, the war going on and people wanting to fight. And, and that was my intent. My favorite movie growing up was Black Hawk Down and that come out around 2001 when I was still living in Winchester, Kentucky. Hmm. And, uh, you know, they delayed the movie for a few months because 9-11 happened. And I remember 9-11, I was, you know, walking from first period to second period. And one of my friends told me, you know, they flew planes into the building. And I didn't really know what was going on, but because I didn't watch TV the rest of the day until I got home and and the streets were clear and and nobody was playing outside. And, you know, everybody was inside watching the news. And I remember seeing those innocent Americans leaping from the building, thinking that's the easiest way out. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and from then on, that's when I realized like, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to serve in the military. I want to make sure that I, I give back, you know, and, and the sure. one thing living in Kentucky and living with my mom is, you know, I talked earlier about my dad taught me a lot about work ethic. And, you know, if you want something in life, you're going to have to go, you have to get it, you know, it's not going to be given to you, but you know, my, my mom who was basically paycheck to paycheck, we didn't expect a lot of gifts for Christmas or whatever, but the one thing we, we did get is love. We loved from our family and, Sure. And you, you learn to appreciate and be grateful for the life that you've been given. And, you know, all of us as Americans have been given one amazing life first to be living in this country, to have the freedoms that we do and to have those who will wear the uniform to protect those freedoms so we could sleep peacefully at night. Absolutely. And, you know, you know, I moved to, when I moved to Virginia, you know, I was around the mall a lot right next to Fort Lee and, you see these army soldiers and stuff walking in and out and <laughs> you see them in uniform and, 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 and it really, that sense of pride and, and, you know, of wearing the uniform, you know, serving this country, you know, being proud to be in, in you know, for them in the United States army. <laughs> and that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted that togetherness, that camaraderie and brotherhood. And, you know, my, my dad served in the air force. So, he wanted me to look into that as well. And, <laughs> sure. And, and you know, that's you a bit more of a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted to go fight. I didn't want to wait around and be in training for years and years and then miss the war. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was looking in the air force, I was looking at more of their special forces and like their training is two years long. It's like, that's yeah. not what I wanted. And then, you know, having the two classmates who were going into the Marines, they introduced me to the Marine Corps recruiter and we played basketball together. And then, 
he took us to Hooters and sold me. <laughs> you know, and so I, I was so, so going into my senior year in high school. I turned 18 in August. So yep. by the time December rolled around, I went to the MEPS and mm-hmm. I, I raised my right hand and I, all I had to do was graduate high school. I didn't need parental signatures at all. Sure. I was infantry 0311 is what I wanted to do. And all I needed was to graduate. And were you, uh, were you a sports kid in high school? You said, I think I did. I, I played baseball until I was 13. Um, okay. I played, you know, basketball, I played football, tennis, I, anything I could do to be active, you know, to sure. be outside and just, just, just to play sports, you know, and mm-hmm. we had a lot of neighborhood, neighborhood pickup games and, but, you know, I just, I just enjoyed being outdoors. Mm-hmm. Is there a lot of hunting and things like that for you back then or not? I, I didn't hunt then oh. because I didn't have anybody in my life that, that okay. went out hunting. And uh, I fished occasionally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, fishing was a lot more easier to, to grab a couple of people together and get a couple of poles and just go out in the creek or whatever, you know, especially sure. living in Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my, uh, I was going to ask you, I mean, you kind of went into why the Marine Corps just based on your friends and just the time with the recruiter and, and uh, my brother-in-law was in the Marines uh, back in the Desert Storm days. And so it was definitely transformative for his life as well. I mean, just, just looking at before and after pictures before he went to basic, would you kind of say the same thing for you when you went to basic? How oh, did gosh. you? I was, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was, um. And the maturity and, and just all everything together, you know, the, again, you know, playing sports helped a lot with going through recruit training, the team work, you know, you're not going to do anything individually. You're going to have to have a team to, to, to do anything, you know, those around you, you got to surround those around you and trust those around you. And so that all like carried over and, and being in shape, you know, I think helped that a lot, but, you know, I was skinny, a lot more skinnier than I am now, but <laughs> I, tell you, I always tell people like if I had the mindset and the work ethic now, even more now than I did mm-hmm. then, then there's no telling where I, the route that I would have chosen the military or the Marine Corps, you know, it was just, but you know, I, I enjoyed every minute of it. And the, and the, you know, the first friend I told you earlier that I met in Dinwiddie, I mean, him and I went through recruit training together on the buddy program. Awesome. We stood on those yellow footprints together and, so, you know, I, I had a familiar face that was going down there with me. And, um, you know, at first, I mean, it's just like boot camp. The first few weeks, you don't, you're, you're like questioning all of life's decisions. <laughs> like, why did I sign the paperwork? What am I thinking? But, mm-hmm. you know, the more you get used to the, where you're at and um, you kind of understand that, okay, you're going to get yelled at no matter if you're the, the most perfect person in the world, you know, and, yeah. So like you just kind of get used to it. It's just, but the days go by so fast, you know, cause you're constantly busy and running around doing different things. And, and, you know, when I was there before I knew it, it was, man, you know, family day is tomorrow or graduation is the next day and, and I'll be moving on, you know, and sure, I'll, have sure. the, I'll have that title of Marine. And, and that's what, what I've strived for when I stood on those yellow footprints, it's like to get the Eagle Globe anchor to have the title of Marine because you know, I, I didn't grow up a perfect life. You know, I understand, I, I knew what adversity was and struggled, you know, we, again, paycheck to paycheck and, yeah. you know, I had to work for what I wanted. I didn't have, to, I wasn't the perfect student. The grades weren't there, <laughs> you know, but when I earned that Eagle Gold Banker walking across that parade deck at Paris Island, mm-hmm. like I realized then that, and this is, 
this is awesome. Like this is finally something through hard work that, you know, I, I earned this. Yeah. Yeah. My, I've got a 19 year old uh, and he is actually going off to the army in about a month from now. Couldn't quite talk him into looking at the Marine Corps, but he had some friends who went into the army. So that's what he wanted to do. But yeah, he heads off August 3rd for basic. He's done his MEPS already. And I think he's, that's kind of what he's looking for as well as something to, you know, hang his hat on that, that I did this and I, and I was part of this team and I was, and I made a difference for this country. So where, where's he going to boot camp? Yeah. Fort Sill, Oklahoma, which is oh. going to be awesome in August. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's the, that should be fun. Yeah. He's been doing a lot of running outside and I mean, even Wisconsin in, in June has been a little bit hotter than normal and the humidity has been right up there. So it's, it's been good for him to, to get outside and get yeah, his running in. Yeah. But I was just going to comment too about the, the skinny factor. He's about 145 pounds or something like that right now. So I think we'll, it'll be interesting to see what he comes back with. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, especially for us at recruit training, I mean, they, you, you get your three meals a day, but it's just like, they just, you stay so active and busy. It's like you, I think everybody loses weight then, you know, and, Sure. But sure. I mean, you know, for us, it's, we ran a lot. So mm. like, at least, at least I got some cardio, you know, good, <laughs> good balance of cardio in there. But, you yeah. know, like once, once I went on to school of infantry, you kind of like start rucking more, you start getting around more weights and stuff. And yeah, kind of build you know, your way up a little bit. Although I, like I was, I mean, I was just a skinny kid, but I was very active and athletic. So Mm-hmm. like you know like the, the rucking and the humping and stuff like that, that that didn't bother me at all like you put a pack on my back and you know of course putting a pack on your back it's all about how you you know pack your gear and you, you mm-hmm. put your pack on and wear it you know it's at the end of the day it's 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 all about the work that you put into your gear you know and sure. if you go out looking like you know crap then you're going to struggle you're going to fail at the task and that's, I think that's one of the things people miss about basic is that it's, it's kind of getting you to pay attention to detail to all the little things like that. And oh gosh, yes. Yeah. Yep. I mean, and even folding your socks, it seems silly looking at it from the outside maybe, but it, there's a reason, right? So. And you know, I, I was down in September at Camp Lejeune with my, and he, the Marine, he's still serving master gunnery sergeant. He was my senior drill instructor and, awesome. and him and I were talking back and forth. I'm like, you know, there's still things I do today that we did at recruit training, you know, and it's like <laughs> my wife had to get onto me a few times because uh, my shoe placement under my rack, you know, it's like I put my, <laughs> my boots, my, my running shoes, and then my flip flop, you know, it's just like the biggest to the mm-hmm. smallest or sure. the way I fold my towels and, but, you know, you think about the things that we learn in recruit training, the, the chaos they put you through. Mm-hmm. It kind of helps you, you know, when, when those chaotic situations come, it, it makes you slow down and, you know, process all that in your head but, and, you know, make those right decisions. Mm-hmm. My wife always looks at me. She's like, the one thing I love about you is that, you know, when I'm overwhelmed, like, you're, you're, you're so calm in like stressful situations. Yeah, And, you know, it's like, I look at it this way. I'm like, okay, what is overreacting and, and yelling and getting frustrated? What's that going to do? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, you got to just, it's not going to make anything better. It's not going to make it any faster. It's like, you just got to like slow down. All right. Okay. Here's what we need to do. All right. Here's step one. Here's step two. Yeah. And, and those are things like you, you look back at recruit training and you learn that, okay, at that time, you're like, this doesn't make sense. Why are we even doing this? But, you know, at the end of the day, it, you know, or later in life, it's all going to come back. And you're like, that's why we were doing it. 
mm-hmm. you know, and for me now, like losing my vision and, you know, the routine and being organized, my goodness, if I, if I didn't, if I wasn't organized, <laughs> didn't have a routine, then I wouldn't know what to do with no vision. You know, I, I definitely couldn't live a life where I'm out traveling by myself or, you know, being comfortable when my wife goes out of town to take yeah. care of myself. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So, and it, did it make a difference in boot camp that you knew you were probably going to war when you got done also? Yeah. I mean, they were, I mean, they were pushing it. I mean, they, they were reminding us each and every day because a majority of us, there was uh, 75, I believe in our platoon and, and, and half of us was infantry MOS. Okay. And, you know, two of our, our kill hats were purple heart recipients from the first battle of Fallujah. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, it was like, we knew where we were going and um, we just had to get there. Yeah. And, and a lot of those guys that we went to recruit training with went on to school of infantry together. And we went on to the fleet together as well. So okay. again, just building that, that the camaraderie, that familiarity of each other. And mm-hmm. so as a, uh, yeah, we knew. Where was your, so after, after school of infantry, uh, was that also Camp Lejeune or was that, uh, where was school of Inter- infantry at? No, it was Camp, yeah, Camp Geiger, Camp which is okay. right next door to Camp Lejeune. Um, yeah, we were there for oh, about three months and, and I was nervous too, because when we were getting there, like the, uh, the forming line for people to like, they're already checked in, but for them to get pulled over to a, an infantry platoon, to go go out for training like it was so long that you know they were telling us that we're going to be there for months and i was like very close to calling my recruiter to try to go home on recruiting duty because i didn't want to wait around sure. and just do nothing you know mm-hmm. and thankfully my last name starts with b and they've been after the border <laughs> so I, I didn't have to wait around i think i waited around for maybe uh two weeks two or three weeks you know so it was you actually start the infantry school. You had to wait two weeks before they had yeah. slots open or something, or what? Yeah, yeah. Before they opened up, because there was so many so recruits many going people. through the pipeline. Yeah, so many guys going okay. through. So it was wow. That's nuts. Was, I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, and I suppose find a Williamson or something that's sitting there for six months waiting to get his turn. I guess. Huh? <laughs> yeah, you're just kind of waiting, you know. And it was just um, trying to think, stay in shape. You know, but... at Camp Geiger, it was only four four companies of infantry school and, and they would all rotate and it, you were just kind of waiting. I mean, the, the, the line going to the jail hall would just snake around the building because there were so <laughs> many of us. Did they eventually expand that? Do you know, so that they could handle more guys coming through or did they just kind of keep it the same just for quality? And... I, I think they just kind of keep it the same. Um, okay. I think I think now the the Marine Corps has changed a lot with their um, school of infantry. You know, they're mm-hmm. kind of expanding it out longer to kind of become more of a a smaller small unit fighting force. Sure. But um, you know, it, it's it's all going to take for for now. It's all going to take time within the next few years for them to, to get where they want to go. But you know, A through A through J basically is what what I was in. You know, we went to Alpha Company and. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think after we got picked up, you know, the next company got picked up just as fast. So it was, it wasn't too bad. Yeah. yeah it wasn't that bad at all. And then, <laughs> um, so it, it was just that whole waiting. Cause you're like, okay, you, you go to morning formation. And then after that, you're like, all right, what do I do now? You know, just yep. 
kind of the wait around, wait, see, waiting, you know, hurry up and wait process. And <laughs> but, kind know, of the military is fam- famous for that, right? So exactly, you know, and it's uh, <laughs> it, it's funny to go back, you know, when we were recruit training. I was saying about my my senior drill instructor. He told us about two weeks before we graduated, and you know, we were kind of done with a lot of the um recruit training. All we had to do is just basically like inspections and graduation. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he's like, you know, I got one more cycle after you recruits. And once I'm out of here, I'm headed to Hawaii and you're never going to see me again. And, <laughs> and we're like, okay, you know, um, you know, you're East coast Marine, you're more than likely going to be on the East coast. You're not going to Hawaii. Sure. And yeah. we're like, we're told about a week after we graduate from school of infantry that, Hey, we're all headed to Hawaii. And, <laughs> And it didn't cross any of our mind that our senior drill instructor is going to be there. We all fly there and then amazement. It's like, Oh man, we're going to Hawaii. Like awesome, you know, and free trip by the government Mm -hmm. and we get there and we're there actually a couple of weeks. And then we start getting some grumblings that, Oh, staff Sergeant Clark is now, uh, he's one of the platoon sergeants in, in the company that we're in. And I happen to be one of his last recruits to say hello to him. Mm-hmm. And um, see, our platoon sergeant was his best friend, and he told me he's like Bradford. If you don't, you're the you're the only one that hasn't said hello to him. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna beat you. He's gonna kill you. You know, and it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, <laughs> wonderful. You know, and I, I single went, yourself went, out. Yeah, yeah. I went walking to the company office, and about thirty yards in front of me, him and another staff sergeant are walking in the same direction. And all I could think in my mind is like, oh, it's going to happen now. And I give him the greeting of the day and then I keep on walking. He's like, Hey Bradford, and I turn around. He's like, you don't remember me, do you? Like I do. And, then, <laughs> and it, but it was, a, it was, a, it was amazing. It was yeah. uh, talking about the the small world of the Marine Corps. That's for sure. Yeah. I think that's something people don't appreciate as a Marine Corps. You're, uh, unless I guess you're completely East coast or West coast, there's not a lot of movement in between those. Once you get to one side or the other, would that be right? Or uh, that's about true, yeah. you know, and um, yeah. you're but, kinda... but they're small units. I mean, to what is uh, first, first Marine division, second Marine division, stuff like that. But yeah. And you know, and it's, uh, and you know, even a lot of the, a lot of the drill instructors, senior drill instructors, a lot of them, you know, they're all East coast guys too, you know, and it's just, okay you got everything at Camp Lejeune, you got everything at Camp Pendleton and you got everything in Okinawa pretty much, you know, the one, the one thing with third Marines is it's kind of split between Okinawa, Guam and, and Hawaii, but oh, okay. Okay. You know, and it's just, and even, even a lot of the guys that go to third Marines are mainly guys from Pendleton. Like our seniors were from their West coast Marines. So they all went through boot camp in Pendleton. Sure. So. Yep, yep. So where did you, after Hawaii, did you deploy on a ship for a while or was it straight over to Iraq from there? It, it was or, straight over to Iraq. We actually got there right when, when, when second battalion, third Marines got back from Afghanistan and we began a workup because in, you know, the, oh, five, oh six, you know, it was seven months deployed, seven month workup, you know, and it was just that rotational, sure. you know, back and forth. So we were, um, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure we knew we were going to Iraq, but you know, they kept telling us, you know, it's like any minute now, like we could walk in your barracks room and be like, all right, pack your gear up. You're leaving right now. So Mm -hmm. it was, you know, so we went straight into training and then, you know, we were in the big Island for a week for a, a training on the volcanoes there. And then we went to California for a month and then, you know, August come around, we're on pre deployment leave and, you know, it, it, it's, it's really happening, you know, we're, we're going to be deployed and 
Was this like 29 Palms or Pendleton? Area? 29 Palms. 29, yeah, we, yeah, we went through the um, pre-deployment training that, that they do every year out there or every, before every deployment out at CAX. Okay. Yeah, my brother-in-law lived out there for over a year, I think. There, he was actually stationed there for a year or even longer. I know my, my sister has lots of fond memories, not so many of living out there. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you want to yeah. know what 29 Palms is all about, just watch, I mean, honestly, watch the movie E.T., you know. There's <laughs> a bunch of desert out there. And it's yeah. like we were there from June to July, and it was miserably hot. And I remember sitting on one of the – you know, one of the largest ranges in the Marine Corps on the 4th of July in 06 and just watching tracers go over my head. It's like, they're not fireworks, but I guess they'll do, you know? <laughs> sure. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So something you got to make a good perspective out of it somehow. So yeah, yeah you got to you know, learn to learn to make the best of every situation. So within your platoon, when you deployed, what was your job at the time? Oh, you know, we were, we were infantry. I was, yep. uh, um, you know, once we got to Iraq and stuff like that, I, we were, I was on point. Uh, okay. We, I was on point to the right of my team leader who was to my left. And, you know, we were going into Iraq and you start hearing the rumblings of like where we're going. One of the units that we were, were leaving third battalion, third Marines. And they, they, they just walked away from the Haditha triad, you know, and which the Haditha triad was three, three main cities, Basically, Haditha being the the main element, and you got Hawkeye and Barwana to the south and across the river. But the the headquarters was based at the Haditha Dam, sure. and my company was Echo Company, and we were headed right into Haditha, the main element. And um, you know, the, one of the Marines from three three told us that they felt bad for the, what we're getting ready to get involved with. You know, they lost mm -hmm. fourteen Marines on their deployment out of their battalion. Okay. And um, and, and it a battalion, was battalions, I mean, how many guys? About a thousand. About a thousand. Yeah. Okay. You know, and it was, um, you know, we get there and, and our company alone on the first 40 days on average, one casualty per day. And, and that was just the first 40 days. So, it, I mean, it could have probably extended out further than that. So, you know, fighting our way onto our FOB, which was located in the middle of town, mm -hmm. firefight after firefight, like our mobile unit got hit so hard the first few months we were in Iraq that, they had to change out platoons because wow. they were just losing Marines. And, um, it, it, it was, you, you didn't realize, or you, you didn't know every time you went on patrol and we were on foot, we were foot patrol, like my squad, our squad, we were foot patrol every time. And I actually felt safer walking the streets than I did in the vehicle, just seeing how hard our mobile unit got hit by IEDs and snipers and stuff. Well, back in the day, those were those were still Humvees and stuff. Back in the day, did they have armor yet at that point, or not yet? Yeah, we had armor. Um, yeah, but, but okay. some of those IEDs, those pressure plates, were just so powerful, you know. Yeah. And I know uh, we did a patrol once with the Iraqis, the Iraqi police, and then now they're in the the Humvees that weren't armored. And I looked <laughs> at my friend to my left and. I'm like, love you. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> we don't know where this is going to happen right here, but it was though. You know, we were we were on, we would be on firefights on rooftops, and they would try to launch grenades over the roofs, or we'd be in the back of a seven ton, and they would try to throw grenades into the seven ton. So it was just, mm -hmm. it was so constant. You know, it's like honestly, you get you got used to every time you went on patrol, you're going to get in some kind of action. What was your first uh, thought the first time you had rounds coming at you? 
you know. The first, I remember the first fire I ever got into, we were walking through the palm groves along a compound wall and kind of in between some little palm trees and the, the wall. And to our left, they opened up on us. And I was behind my team leader. I was second. And when they opened up on us, uh, I jumped, him and I jumped behind the same tree, which <laughs> was probably this, you know, a softball size diameter tree, you know, and, and he looked at me, he's like, Brad, forget behind that tree, which was like maybe uh, a baseball size diameter. I'm like, you lost your mind. I'm not getting, you know, it's like, <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, it was, it was that kind of that when you do anything in life, you know, you play football or you, you, you low crawl, you get dirty. The first time you get dirty or whatever, you just, it's that first impact. It's like, all right, now I'm, now I'm okay with this, you know? And, yeah. you know, you play football and you get hit for the first time. It's like, all right, now I got that out of the way. And, um, you know, that first firefight was the same thing. It's like, okay, you understand that mm-hmm. this is really no different than training, even though, yeah, they're, they're shooting to kill now. Mm-hmm. But, um, you kind of learn everything you can through training. Like, okay, this is what I need to do. This is where I need to go. Um, yeah. Cover concealment, make sure that everybody is okay behind you. And, you know, it's that whole, like everything slows down, you know, and, and that's the one thing about being in a firefight. It's like people think it goes by so fast because you see it on TV, which it, it, for me, it slowed down so much, you know, and it's just that not getting overwhelmed or not getting like, you know, just frustrated. You just like slow down and just think like, okay, step one, here's what I need to do. Step two, here's what I need to do. And th- and that's all it is. Kind of step back, make a call and, and probably a lot of prioritization, I would guess too, of take a breath so you don't pass out kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, the importance of just breathing, you know, it's just <laughs> like learn to slow down and take a breath. It's like, okay, you know, this is what I need to do. And, yeah. um, how good were your how good were your NCOs and your platoon? They were really good. Like I was uh, very blessed. Like our squad was had a lot of phenomenal leaders, and our company commander he was the one that led us all. Mm-hmm. You know, he was the one that if you're on patrol, he would be right there leading the patrol. He wouldn't be in the middle of the formation, but awesome. he'd be leading the patrol. And um, you know, is he's like one of those leaders that you would follow through fire. You know, to, to the end of the world. Cause you know, he would be right there next to you. Is he still in the Marines today or is he, is he out? He is. He's actually the, uh, I think it shows a lot with the way that he acted on that deployment, that he is now the, the regimental Colonel with fourth Marines out in, in, in Okinawa. And more than awesome. likely he'll probably be getting a star here soon because he's just, he's one of, he's a Marines leader, you know, and. Awesome. Awesome. I That's think, great. I think through our deployment after they got back, um, um, in the Marine Corps, they have an award that's called the, um, I think it's the, the Left Witch Award. And it's mm-hmm. given to the top company commander. And uh, and he received that award after the Aditha deployment just because, and then this is throughout the whole Marine Corps too. So just says a lot about his leadership and and, and how not only me, but all, everybody, every Marine in Echo Company looked up to him and was, you know, inspired and motivated by his guidance and direction. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So did he, well, uh, I, I don't know if you know too much about his history. Was he uh, an Annapolis grad or how did he get to be commissioned? I'm not sure. Not he sure. Was, okay. Especially at that time, he was way above yeah. my pay grade, you know, <laughs> and, and shiny on the collar you try to stay away from. And, sure, you know. sure. Yeah. 
bring, you know, now, not now bring notice to yourself, I, right? So yeah, now I can sit there and I can talk with, you know, the, the shiny callers and the high ranking enlisted, you know, but, but back then it's like, if I saw something shiny coming my way, I would take a long <laughs> way around, you know, just so I didn't have to salute or whatever, or, or get put exactly. in those situations. So by the time you went out to Haditha, were you already a corporal by then? Or did you get that in the field? I was a, I was a, I was an E2 PFC. And then um, while I was okay. deployed to Iraq is when I picked up Lance Corporal. Okay. Okay. What did that, did you, does that mean you're starting to do some leadership yourself inside your squad or, or are you a fire team leader like that or anything along those lines or not quite yet? Not quite yet. And um, quite you know, a lot of okay. times like the first deployment you got your team leaders and then once you get back, then, your team leaders will assign Marines under you. So now you're the team leader and, gotcha. you know, but, but individually, like we're all leaders, like, you know, especially in a, a chaotic yeah. situation like Iraq at that time, like we're all leading our own way and giving knowledge to the guy to our left and our right and behind us and, you know, our squad leaders and team leaders and stuff, you know, it's cause like on patrol, like you've got your own sector that you're focused on, mm-hmm. you know, and, and 12, different Marines, like we all got our 12 sectors that keep a, a good perimeter around us to make sure that we're good. You're, you know, we're not going to get ambushed or we're not going to get, um, an IED is not going to go off in the middle of us. And, and for me and my team leader to be point guys, like, like you're really focused on your front and to your right. And, sure. and you know, I, I gained so much leadership from my team leader because, you know, although I was focused on what I needed to focus on, like he was to my left and I would just watch what, how he would handle himself, how he would lead us in the fire team, how he would control this squad and, you know, and just observe him on patrol. Mm-hmm. Like I gained a lot of knowledge from him, just, you know, the lead by example mentality. Sure. And I know um, when he, he had to leave for, for uh, a few days and, and my squad leader put me in charge not only of being the point man, but also of my fire team. Mm-hmm. And that gave me so much confidence because he trusted me. And I remember one, one patrol, he was like, I went up to him. I'm like, Hey, where do you want us to go? You know, give us the route. He's like, Bradford, you know how to do this. We follow you. You know, you're going to put us in the right house. You're going to take us down the right roads, mm-hmm. you know, and, it, and it's just gaining that confidence from my squad leader, knowing that he trusted me. And, uh, you know, that whole weekend or, you know, that whole, uh, I don't know, I forgot how long, a week long of patrols that we were on, you know, and, you know, it was me telling the guys like, all right, you go to the roof or you, you set up over here, you set up this direction. And, you know, it gave me so much confidence that I knew when I got home from Iraq, like I was ready to lead, I was ready to lead young Marines into combat because I knew like once we got back seven months later, we were headed back over again. Mm-hmm. But I was I was confident and I was comfortable because I was learning from these these fen- phenomenal leaders, you know, from mm-hmm. the company commander down to my team leader. And it, it just man, I was I was soaring with confidence. I was ready to lead like because the same thing with getting my Eagle Banker after recruit training. Like I felt like for the first time in my life, like I'm doing something the right way. And this is like this is the life I chose to live and I'm loving it. Mm hmm. Sure. So, uh, yeah, and I think that's something a lot of people don't realize about the military is they think you're just kind of blindly following orders and doing whatever you're told, but you're expected to think and think on your feet and make decisions, right? So you are, you know, and it's like, you're just kind of, you know, especially if, if, 
if it hits the fan, you know, and like what happens if the team leader goes down, right? Next man up, like yeah. you need to fill those roles and you need to make sure that everything you're learned, everything you've learned and the knowledge you've been given. So you could step right into that position and make sure that now your Marines under you are going to be taken care of and, and, and you know what to do, you know, yeah. and, you know, if you walk into a house, like, okay, you know, for us being point guys, the first thing to do was to get to the, get to the roof, you know, mm-hmm. as, that's where you go. And um, it's just, you just kind of learn as you go. And for mm-hmm. me, I was always a hands-on person, you know, I wasn't, I didn't learn by reading it in a book and then going to do it. I learned by getting out there and actually doing it. Mm-hmm. So your, was your first deployment, you, did you finish that or was that when your injuries happened? That's when I was injured. My that first was when you injured. Okay. Do you want to talk about that now? Yeah, we were, um, you know, it's like we've gone on so many. How long, or I guess how, how long had you been deployed before January 18th? Or uh, how far? September to January. So four, a little over four months. Okay. You know, and you know, we go on so many patrols over and over again and it, it, it's, you get used to it. Like, you know, the, I still, I could probably lead you down the roads of Haditha today <laughs> with no vision, you know, cause it's like, yeah, we, we walked miles and miles and on those roads and, you know, was it, was it be, hard not to get complacent, I guess, a little bit, being so familiar it was, with, it, with things? It was because the first few months, like, the, you know, we were inspected, like, we were ready to go get in the gunfight, you know, and then after a while, like, but it shows that the work that we were doing, you know, it, it stopped them shooting at us and it kept them away because, you know, at that time, like, you, you've already had Fallujah, you had Ramadi, Haditha was kind of the last stronghold for Al-Qaeda, you know, the surge was going on and, and during that time, like there was no real focus on the Haditha triad. And, um, you know, so they hit us hard when we were over there for the first few months, but you know, we, we fought back and we let them know that we're there to stay and we're there to protect these, the community and these people that live in this community. Sure. And, um, you know, cause Haditha, it has the largest dam in Iraq that if, Al Qaeda could have controlled that, then they could have flooded all the way down to Fallujah and maybe further. Sure. And yeah, um, yeah I remember reading about that back in the day and and some of the the fights that were going on for that and and how crazy that area that whole area was. And so kudos to you guys for for making it a little bit more peaceful. So, but yeah, and, and you know during the time that I got it during the time that the idea exploded under me it was you know, one of those times where it was like, there was not much action going on because like the job was, you know, we, we had it in control and, um, you know, we were on foot patrol as we were on every patrol and we were walking down a road that laid parallel to Dufresne river and walking past the compound wall. And a lot of times like the insurgents would use indicators that it just is not familiar with the area. And, you know, I look out into the palm grows that, you know, off to my right about 30 yards probably. And, there's a white bag leaned up against the tree. And I'm like, well, that's, that's weird, you know? And I, I, I let my team leader know to my left and I turn and let the squad know behind me. And, and when I turn back around, I looked down and, and there was a ditch that laid perpendicular on from the road I was standing on. And, and it, you know, ran in along this compound wall inside of a pipe underneath the road. And as I looked down, I saw the command wires going inside of the pipe underneath the road. And before I knew it, I mean, it, it exploded directly underneath me and, when I talk about direct underneath me, I mean like inches below me. And, um, so it was, it's funny when people are always like, How, what, what were you thinking? I'm like, it happened so fast. You didn't have time to think. 
I'm surprised you actually remember that much of it because, I mean, do you remember right up until the moment that it blew pretty much or or I, pretty close? I do. And the, the interesting part is like the, the doctors told me that my memory would, I, don't, I wouldn't remember any of this. And honestly, <laughs> I can't forget any of it. The only thing that I don't remember is I called home to my uncle just before we went to the brief. And I don't remember any of the briefing. I don't remember any of the patrol all the way up to like the last few maybe 20 oh, okay. yards of the patrol. Yep. And, um, you know, and even after the idea exploded, like I was off and on conscious through it all. Mm-hmm. So I knew what was going on, Yeah, but I was in shock. I, I couldn't feel nothing at all, you know, but. So were um, you, were you already married by this point? No, no, no? I was, a, okay. I was a single bachelor Marine. And, <laughs> and I, I think, I think for the job that, that I had and that we had in the Marines, like, I don't, like, I tell my wife all the time that I don't know if I could have been married being a father and mm-hmm. doing what we did over there because I, I felt like over there, like I had family and I mm-hmm. knew I had family and I was, you know, I loved my family, but I was so committed to being a Marine and, and doing what I needed to do on that deployment where I was okay with going out and giving a hundred percent. And if I lost my life, then I lost my life. Like yeah. I was that committed, you know, and I just, but you know, I, I went to Afghanistan in 2017 on a trip and, and it was so tough, you know, having a wife and kids over here and being over there, like knowing that we're, we're going to be safe no matter where we're at, but you never know, like you don't know when's your last day. And I remember flying home from Afghanistan to Kuwait and, and the Lone Star, I'm already there. A message from home song came on and there's a little voice in there that sounds just like my daughter. when She says, daddy, and, and you just like start to tear up, you know? And it's like, yeah, I, I couldn't do that. You know, I couldn't be over there receiving letters and videos and missing birthdays and holidays. And, you know, like, and when we were on this deployment, like we were there, you know, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year. Like, so it was like all the important holidays, you know? And, yeah. Yep. And internet connectivity probably wasn't quite what it was today or anything like that either. I'm sure. Oh, so, no, I'm, I'm so especially jealous. Especially in a fob. Talking yeah. FaceTiming and Skyping <laughs> from overseas now. Like we... We had three laptops and it took us, we only could get on for 30 minutes and, and it, it took us about 29 minutes to even log on, you know, and it's like, if we wanted to call, talk to anybody, we had to write them letters. Yeah. Um, I know. I mean, I know Jocko had his way of dealing with it. He kind of locked all of his family pictures away. He didn't put them out or anything like that. He kind of put his family in a box and, and put that away. And I think that's kind of what you'd have to do to try to survive that time over did you see guys have issues with their family being you know being or having a family while they were over you know if they did like we we kept it all to ourselves you know okay. and, I, and i guess it's more the the hard-headed stubborn marine guy <laughs> whatever it is you know that like yeah. we just kept it to ourselves and you know we were again we were so busy like yeah that time we slowed down, like we did, like, you know, our fob was in the middle of Haditha. We were living in an Iraqi home. You know, when we did slow down, a bunch of us, like, we grabbed our PSPs and we played college football, you know, or we cleaned our rifles. We listened to music, you know, and it was because if you think about it, we were all 18, 19, 20 year old kids. Yeah. Like, yep. you know, and here we are fighting for this country, you know, and, and we're not even really at legal age to drink. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we had time to like relax, like we rested, of course, or we, we pulled out our PSPs, which was big den and we'd play football, you know, yeah, PlayStation and, portable for those uh, new people that don't understand quite what that provides for you. You used to have one of those also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, you know, we would sync them up to each other and, and we'd play against each other. And that was actually, I remember when I first got over there and, and I found out about these PSPs, I was like, Hey dad, like, I want you to go buy this and buy this game for me. And, mm-hmm. and that was my first like package, but awesome. You know, it was just, uh, I, I mean, we, we all wrote home like, you yep. know, and the few times that we had the satellite phone, we'd call home, but it was just, you're over there in the middle of a town. Like you had TV in a chow hall. That was it. Mm-hmm. Like your communication back home was very limited. Mm-hmm. Like it was just you and them, like you and your brothers, like you yeah. learned about each other and you connected more with each other. And it, it just, it built that camaraderie and that strength and that brotherhood, you know? Yep. And, and honestly, like I, I miss it so much because I miss those moments. Like, yes, we got mortared every day, multiple times, you know, and sure. we had a mortar hit 30 yards behind our, our hooch, our house mm-hmm. that we lived in, but it's like, you didn't care. Like, you know, it's like, you knew what you needed to do. You loved each other. And, yeah. and I think I, I miss that more than anything. And I, I would go back and do it all over again, as long as it's with those guys. Yeah. Well, I saw your pictures. So it's June 30th today. You posted a picture yesterday or day before, I think, of, of some of the guys that helped you out when you got injured. And were those some of the guys you'd want to be with if you got deployed again at some point? It is. Yeah. The, um, I went on a fishing trip just two weeks ago out in Montana. And the one, the one cool thing about this organization that put this trip on the Bar X project is, you know, you go on a lot of trips and you know, it's a, it's a bunch of wounded dudes together that you never met before. And it usually takes yeah. a couple of days for you to open up. And then by that third day, you're headed home. But, but this trip is guys that you've deployed with that you haven't seen on seen in years. And, um, yeah, so I ended up getting, it was me and 11 other guys. Um, one, one is a gold star father. His, his son served with us in Iraq. I lost his wow. life in Afghanistan two years later. And then it was the corpsman who put tourniquets on my leg, who saved my life. The, the Marine who um, actually went th- through MEPS with us together, boot camp, SOI, all of this stuff. Like he goes way back before <laughs> through training. Wow. Uh, he was part of QRF that day who carried me off the battlefield. And then um, another Marine who was in the same company who was wounded two months before I was, uh, was in Bethesda. And he would come in my hospital room and talk with me. And uh, just, he lost his leg and he kind of helped me put my mind in the right spot to where, you know, it is going to be a hard journey there, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel, but it's just keep moving forward. You know, there's going to be bad days and sometimes there might be more bad days than good days, but you just got to understand, you know, that it is a process and you just got to keep pushing forward and getting stronger and getting better. And, um, it was just, I tell you what, like, I I spoke with my core mouse, everybody I spoke with about that trip. It's like, we left Montana way better than I think we were when we got there, awesome. you know, and I've gone on so many trips and that was the one trip that I'm like, I didn't really want to come home. Like, you know, <laughs> it was tough because yeah, for four, four days, we'd set out by the campfire until two in the morning. And the one awesome thing is like, there was no one story shared multiple times. Like wow. it was just new story after new story. It, it went from sitting out by the campfire to sitting at the airport right before we all flew off, you know, and. Mm-hmm. It so it was a lot of, a lot of healing kind of stuff going on. 
or just a lot. Yeah. Fellowship is very yeah. therapeutic, all this stuff together. What was the group that, that sponsored that? The Bar X project. Bar X project. Awesome. Okay, cool. I had not heard of that before, but I'll, I'll look into it and, and see, see what, uh, see what it's all about. So, I mean, I've heard of other ones. I, I, archery probably isn't something I don't know if you could do archery or not, but I know like knock on archery has their total archery challenges, but you might need a little help with the aiming side of things. That's for sure. But, uh, I've done archery once, um, yeah. and, and here in Kentucky actually, cause I, I do, I do hunt now. Okay. And okay. one of the fish and wildlife guys is like, Hey, would you ever want to do bow hunt? And I'm like, Hey, if you could figure it out how to get me out there, I'll do it. Sure. I, mean, I just, I'll try, I'm always willing to try new things, you know? So, yeah, maybe we'll have to see if I can somehow. I, I it's not that I know John Dudley or anybody, anything like that, but you know, I'd love to see you because there's been a lot of guys out there. Just, I mean, they they bring a lot of wounded veterans out to as part of that project as well, and it might be something fun to try. But I think they do yeah. that in Montana, don't they, or do they just kind of do it all over? He's he's got like half a dozen places he he road trips to. So between Montana, Colorado, Utah. Um, I think they even went down south if they did one in Texas or something like that too. But yeah, get, I know he does a lot with Jocko now. Yeah, he does. Yep, yep. Get him to build you a bow or something like that. But yeah, <laughs> it's just like it's like uh, on when I was on the Jocko podcast and he was talking about jujitsu, mm -hmm. and I'm like, hey, I would give it a shot, you know. And it's so funny, like right after I said that. Like all these people started contacting me about, hey, you come do jujitsu with us. Like, oh man, I put my foot in the mouth on this one here. <laughs> now you gotta at least show up once, and then yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, there's yep. a, one of the trainers in the gym that I go to. He's a, I mean, I don't. He's a multiple degree black belt, and sure, he's a. He's trying to work out a, how to work with me. You know, being blind with no prosthetic, with both prosthetics and stuff. So yeah. I would imagine that, I mean, you should be able to do it at least. Uh, I mean, there's always adjustments you can make and, and things like that. And I haven't done jujitsu much, but um, I know we, even in karate and, and the Taekwondo and, and stuff that I did, you can still make adjustments for all that stuff and, and yeah, just gotta be creative about it. So that's what I'm like, you know, it's uh, I mean, I still remember what I learned in the Marine Corps. I mean, you know, we did a lot of that stuff as well. And sure, you know, I've been in, like grappling with people and they'll like grab both my hands and I'm like, what, what do I do now? I don't have legs. Like there's no way like, <laughs> to fight me like a, you know, like a baby over here. So. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So you said you, you do remember the time right after the blast until a certain point, how much yeah, of that? And, yeah. You know, and, and you mentioned earlier about my senior drill instructor and, and the platoon sergeant. And the reason why I mentioned is because he was part of QRF the day I was injured. Oh, and his wow. voice was the last voice I heard when they put me in in the the, the Blackhawk that medevac, and and he said you'll be fine, Bradford. And, and then from there on, I passed out, and I didn't wake up for you know a few weeks later. How much how much blood did you lose as part of all that? They tell you all of it, or <laughs> basically all of it. Yeah, they were. I mean, you know, when I woke up, like I was extreme. Like I was so skinny that like the the hospital wristband would go up to my armpits and. Wow. You know, uh, when I woke up in Bethesda, I had a left leg above the knee, a right leg below the knee gone, like scars and bandages all over my body. And, you know, my eyes were, you know, they were damaged up pretty good. And like I had tubes in places I didn't know you could put tubes. <laughs> it was, um, so you but, just skipped being awake for the Germany part and just went straight to Bethesda then? 
because uh-huh, I'm sure that you was, went through Germany at some point, right? Yeah, actually, I, I think my right leg, my right leg was mangled up really, really badly, but they yeah. kept it on, and I think it was amputated in Germany. Okay. But I mean, I was hurt on the 18th, you know, around I think it was around like four o'clock in the afternoon, hmm. and I was in Bethesda by the 21st at, at nighttime. Uh, they didn't they didn't know how to, I would handle traveling wow, that's, with the eye pressure crazy. and stuff, so yeah. they they rushed me over as quickly as possible. Okay. And, um, okay. And I think one thing people don't think about is with injuries like that, just the amount of dirt and gunk and things like that that get blown into your wounds. And I can imagine that just makes the recovery process that much tougher of, of risk of infection and all that kind of stuff. So do you remember much about the first few weeks in Bethesda or not? Yeah, I was, I mean, I was, for the longest time whoever visited my room was they had to be quarantined i mean gown mask gloves like basically the same thing through this pandemic you know that's like coming to my hospital room yeah sure but you know it's like you're talking about like like i was getting daily washouts of my legs like i'd go in for surgery where they would just like clean everything out of my legs and um, they leave they left them they left them open and kind of packed them during the day or something like that is that yeah they they put i forgot what it's called but they put something on your legs to kind of but yeah, it's just constant washouts and surgeries and, you know, it was, um, I'm sure that feels good. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it was, oh. you know, and it, it's, it's interesting. Like you battled all those, like these severe pains, but it's like the littlest things that bother me the most now. It's like, it like <laughs> I could slam into a wall and be perfectly fine. But if I get a paper cut, I'm like in pain for days, you know, give me the Advil. <laughs> oh. I think you earned the right to complain a little bit about stuff, but I don't know. So, yeah, um, that was. Um, what's that? I was gonna say, yeah, you know, it was it was tough, you know, going through all that stuff, you know, because when I woke up and I realized I was in America and, and my friends were still over in Iraq, it's like that whole guilt, you know, and it's a sure like why did I live from this, you know, and like, you felt like you let them down. Sport. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and that was my biggest thing. I felt like I let them down, and then when I found out my team leader was injured as well, that just piled on top of it. And like, I was, I would take it out on everybody that would come in my hospital room. I would take it out on the corpsmen, the nurses. And, you know, when my dad told me I lost my legs, like I was devastated. Like I just cried and cried and cried, hoping that a tear would grow like my legs back, you know, and hoping like they're like gecko tails, you know, because like you see this stuff happen on to other people on TV all the time, but you never expect it to happen to yourself. And, you know, I I didn't really care much for losing my vision. I was like, well, I had to come back sooner or later, but my legs it's like what what's a 20 year old who didn't didn't do the best in high school who didn't have plan b at all especially this kind of plan b it's like what's a guy with no legs and no vision gonna do with life you yeah. know and it's just like just i just all i want to do is just lay in the hospital bed not eat and just lay there and die like this mom didn't kill me like this would be the best way to kill myself yeah that's got to be tough i mean i obviously never been there, but I mean, I, I've had health struggles of my own, but nothing, nothing compared to that. So how long did that last for and what kind of brought you out of it? You know, it was it's a constant visits by the, the Marine I told you about earlier, Marcus, you know, who I served with hearing that familiar voice. And, and there was another Marine who I served with that would come in my hospital room as well. Those familiar voices helped out a lot. And then you um, didn't want to listen know, to him at first or you know, they just, just knowing their, um, knowing them, you know, knowing their yeah. names 
and and they're both older than me they're they're both my seniors mm-hmm. you know and it's we dealt with so much in Iraq when we were there you know it grew us all closer together and um so when they'd walk in my room it's like they didn't you know try to pull rank or you know talk down to me but they sat there and they talked you know and they and I said like one of them got shot in the head and he's walking around the helmet on but he's you know in the room every day as much as he can and you know the Marcus who lost a leg and broke almost every bone in his body was there every day to kind of to walk me through this journey and yeah. you know then I realized that okay these corpsmen the nurses and these marines and like family and friends and all these letters that I keep getting prayers it's like you know they they care for me and you know at the end of the day no matter where I'm at like I'm still a marine like you know and the one thing about being a marine is we never quit like to me this is a different challenge a different patrol different obstacle you know different battle but I got all these people that are in my corner that's going to stand with me and help me walk through this detour called life you know and yeah. and I realized that you know, having those Marines come in my hospital room, uh, th- that's when I realized that, okay, maybe this is what I want to do. This is my purpose. Like maybe it's not deploying to Iraq over and over again. Maybe it's walking into a room with a severely wounded guy or girl and letting them know that no matter what their injuries are, they could overcome it. You know, the right yeah. mindset, the right positive attitude. And cause I learned once my attitude shifted and changed in the right direction. And I started looking at life as an optimist and not as a negative person. Like I started getting off pain meds. I started eating more food. I started getting healthier. And it just, cause I realized that for me, the opportunity was outside those, that hospital door. That's where I needed to be. And, and I started moving in that direction. So it doesn't mean you didn't still have bad days now and again and things like that. But at that point you knew you were kind of on an upward trajectory or something like that. Oh, most, yeah, I still have bad days today, you know, and it's just like, you know, for the last 13 years, I've gained so much knowledge just personally and, and reaching out to friends and having a family to understand, like, okay, when I'm having bad days, how do I overcome those bad days? Like, what do I need to do to make sure that I get out of this crappy mood or, you know, and it's just. What do you, you know, do to get yourself out of a crappy mood? You know, somebody asked me that like last year when we were in Germany, <laughs> like when you're in those bad days, like how do you get out of it? Not. And I, and I told him, I'm like, you know, the each night when I go to bed, like I, I close my eyes hoping and praying that when I wake up the next day that I'm going to see, like, I haven't seen my wife or kids ever. You know, I, maybe, maybe tomorrow's the day where I'm going to open up and see them. And I open up and I see darkness. You know, I grab my prosthetic legs. Like, so I'm constantly reminded about the injuries and the day I was hurt. And you know, for me, I'm a very competitive person. And, and the one thing about me is the, the guy who pushed the button and blew me up, like he's never going to defeat me. Like he yeah. knocked me down one day, but I got back up from it. And I really don't care where he is today. I mean, he could be alive, dead, wherever. But but I know the last 13 or 14 years, he's been my motivation each and every day to get through these bad days and to, and to go to bed and wake up and live a better life the next day and the next day. And you know, and, and, you know, when I'm having those bad thoughts, when I'm grabbing my legs and wondering if, if this is my intent, if this is my life that I want to live, then, because as, as a third grader, this is not the life I envision. I'm going to be a blind guy <laughs> in the leg, you know, but you know, yeah. it's like, it's like, it's like your wife and it's like your kids will walk in a room and it's like, Hey, come play with me. Or, 
you know, I told him about, you know, my daughter who's nine. It's like, you know, when I had those bad days, I go in her room and I play Barbies with her. I let her paint my nails, you know, and, yeah. and then, you know, they, they kind of giggled a little bit, but it's like those moments put my mind right in the, in the back in the right spot, you know, and, yeah. and that's where it's at, you know, it, like, I realized early on that there's the statistics are so high on divorce or suicide. Like I didn't want to be another statistic. Like yeah. I, I didn't want to be that. Like I want to live life to the fullest. Like it's not so much going out and just showing off and doing blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, for me, it's just living life the way I want to live life. Like I like to fish. I've never hunted before, but you know what the, they found ways for me to hunt. I love to hunt. I love to be outdoors. It's just things I enjoy doing. Sure. And I sure. feel like I feel like a lot of people don't take advantage of like all the blessings that we have and the opportunities that we have to go out and do these things. It's like I think that's know, definitely one thing in today's world is people in this country, a lot of them, I'm not gonna get into the political side of anything like that. I try to stay away from that as much as I possibly can, but I think people have definitely forgotten how blessed we actually are in this country to live where we are and have even in the good times and bad times, all the all the things that we have. So Exactly. Like, I just, I don't want to live life, you know, as they say in the military, bare minimal, you know, it's like, if, like, people tend to quit or give up when they start sensing pain or struggle, or, or failure, you know, approaching when never knowing when that next step might lead to opportunity or success, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, you're going to have to deal with pain, like, you know, and I, I figured pain is temporary, you know, pain might be blood, pain might be you know, it might hurt, but nothing's worse than quitting or giving yeah. up. And I know in 2009, I did a baton death march because I put my foot in my mouth again. I, I tend to do that a lot, <laughs> actually. And, and, I, and I, I, you know, I went out and I walked 10 miles in eight hours. Okay. And it was 10 miles out of 14. And I was proud of that because it was like, okay, two years ago, I got hurt. About eight months is when I really started putting my legs on and wearing them full time. And sure. But I didn't walk those last four miles. And and, you know, it didn't bother me then, but it started bothering me over the years because that was the first thing I, I, I quit on. And, mm -hmm. you know, people come, oh, you, got, you know, it's a different situation now. It's like, no, it's not. Like, like, I might have lost legs, but I still had the same mindset and mentality, you know, and attitude. Yeah. And, and I made it a point that, like, I'm going to finish those last four miles no matter what it is, like when it is. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do everything I can to work harder, to get stronger, to get comfortable with my legs, to put myself in the position that when I attempt a baton death march again, like I'm going to walk all 14 miles. And awesome. in 2019, I walked all 14 miles. Oh, nice. I'm going to lie. Nice. That last mile, that last mile sucked more than anything <laughs> in the world. That's for sure. You know? And, but I realized that like all you got to do in life is just keep putting one foot forward. You know, it's, yeah. it's, that's moving you in the right direction. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Congrats on that. So can I, tell you to i mean the marine corps marathon might be next or something like that or you're not going to go that far <laughs> uh you know it's funny because last and well in september i was out in utah and i marched 16 miles and i told there my wife go. i'm like, uh -huh. I'm like what, what is this marching thing here it's like what is you know i did a couple of 10ks a few years ago i'm like i i thought i lose losing my legs i'd be on a hand cycle all the time like i'm done with all this marching stuff <laughs> i uh, i mean I've, I've hand cycled the marine corps marathon seven okay. times and i've done the 10k i walked the 10k with my wife a few years ago okay um i, I always encourage people in, anyone but especially marines like like it doesn't it doesn't matter if you run the full marathon or run walk 
like you should do it. You know, yeah. it's just, that's an amazing experience crossing the finish line. Yeah. I've never had the opportunity, but I, I want to someday. So for sure. So after, uh, when did you, when, so your recovery started taking a turn for the better. How long were you actually in Bethesda for altogether? Uh, literally two months. You That's know, it? Three wow. Months of that, three months of that was ICU. Okay. But like, again, once I got my mind right, it was just like, things just started flying by and I started healing up and they started taking me off medication. And, you know, once I left there, I went to Richmond, Virginia at the Polytrauma Center and Mm-hmm. I started getting out of the hospital room. I started getting in a wheelchair and moving around more. And, um, and it was just, uh, like, and then by June 29th, I believe, um, actually yesterday, you know, 14 wow. years ago, but is when <laughs> I stood up on my prosthetic legs for the first time. So it's, uh, um, you know, it's just the, once I got my mind right, like things just started moving in that direction. I started getting stronger and, and, just started learning that like if I if I want what I if I want to accomplish this goal of re-enlisting and being in the Marines and helping out other wounded service members, then I need to make sure that I take care of myself better and I need to do what I need to do first. Okay. So your goal was to stay in the Marine Corps at the time and 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 be and help out wherever you could? It was. Or did yep. you actually and want I, to get I, back to active duty and deploy again? Um, not deployed because I just wanted yeah. I just wanted to be around the hospitals and stuff. And, oh, gotcha. Okay. You know, yep. and in the Marine Corps they had the Warrior Regiment. You know, the Army has their Warrior Transition Battalion. So each military branch has their units. Sure. And but I knew like okay, like if I wanted to do anything, like first I need to learn how to walk. Okay, once mm-hmm. I figure out the prosthetics, then then I can start move focusing on the visual part. And you know, the 2008 I went to the blind school for six months, and I learned everything from independent mobility to navigating the streets of Chicago, the subways, the trains, um, emails, like everything I need to do. So like when, when my package got on the commandant's desk, like he had to give me a good reason to deny my reenlistment package. Nice. And, um, yeah. you know, when I mentioned the baton death March in 2009, I, I told him, I'm like, once I'm done with this, I'm putting in my packet and I'm going to, you know, reenlist and, you know, August of 09, it come through and I had three choices to accept the ratings, which a hundred percent. And, no offense, for, like, for a disability matter, package or yeah, yeah, disability. No, matter, yeah. no matter when I decide to get out, like I'm going to be hundred percent. My legs aren't growing back. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Vision's yep. not getting any better. So I'm like, yep. okay. And you know, or I could have sent it back for, you know, a different rating, which I don't know how you can get any better than hundred percent. And then, yeah. and then the third choice was the, uh, the, the reenlistment program packet. And, and I accepted that. And I think it was March 26th. I got approved. Um, from the commandant and, and April 7th, I re-enlisted. I was the first blind double MBT in history of the Marine Corps to do that. Awesome. And um, it was like, where do you want to go? And I'm like, when we're battalion East Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Congrats on that. Took a heck of a lot of work to get you to that point. So that's great. And, and it was just, you know, like my wife always tells me, she's like, the one thing I love about you is like, when you put your mind to something, like you don't give up when things get tough. Like you, you're focused on accomplishing that objective and, and that's what I was like, I had that in my mind, like, mm-hmm. and you know, it was all these smaller goals, but I knew like all those smaller goals would lead ultimately to that larger goal. And it's just, yep. you know, as they, it's, you gotta know, like, you know, you gotta have a plan to get from point A to point B, point B, but there's so much in the middle that, okay, well, I need to do this. I need to do this. And, and that's all I did. I just laid out my life, like, you know, prosthetics. Okay. To get to the prosthetics, I need to do core exercises. I need to get have my skin get comfortable with them and mm. I had to learn how to walk around with them and be comfortable on them. And 
you know, the visual part, it's like, okay, yeah, I got to learn how to do mobility. I got to learn how to live by myself. I got to learn computers and phones and all that. Like, it's just all the littler things ultimately led to the larger thing. Awesome. Yeah. So your eyesight never did come back. Where are you at for eyesight today? Like pretty much completely blind or? Yeah, completely. Yeah, Yeah, bad enough. You can't. Yeah. I always joke with people because when I left the blind rehab center in 08, like they give you a certificate and I'm like, well, I guess I'm legally blind now. You know, I passed, (laughs) I graduated. You know, it's like. It's like, why are you giving me a certificate? Is there actually something printed on this or? It's not even in Braille. Like we only do it. Oh, it wasn't. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it wasn't in Braille. Yeah. No. no. (laughs) You know, I always tell people, like I told the gentleman today, I'm like, you know, I, I have one eye. Like my other eye is a prosthetic. I have one good eye, I guess you'd call right. it. But theoretically, like yeah. I don't, I don't want to be the guinea pig to any eye transplant or anything out there. It's like I've lived this life for 14 years. I've taken care of myself. I've traveled by my, like I do everything pretty well by myself. That, like a lot of times, I do it so good. I feel like I have vision. Sure. Like you know, and I'm not going to jump into a situation because they might give me vision. Like I'm yeah. perfectly fine living this life right here and. You know, at the end of the day, I always tell people that, you know, what I always ask if you'd go back and do it again. I'm like, you know what, if, you know, at, at, you know, you got that point A to point B, my point B was wife and kids. And it took me getting blown up in Iraq to get to my wife and kids. And yeah. if, if going back and doing that all over again to get me to my point B, then I will live every day of every week blind with no legs because that's my true purpose in life. And that's what makes me happy. And what keeps me motivated every day is my wife and kids. Do you think a lot of people get caught in whatever situation it is that's bringing them down and just make that an excuse for, for whatever, I mean, not working out or not, not getting the job that they want or just being stuck in the same old situation that they just use it as an excuse? They do, you know, and I, I do believe that. And, uh, you know, we, you, we just talked about it earlier. It's like, I feel like a lot of people are just stuck on the bare minimum. They're so used to like just going through life the easy way, you know, yeah. they don't understand that, oh, if they fell at something, then it's the end of the world. But, you know, failure is not a bad thing. Failure is like, a, you know, a lesson learned. You know, failing is not being knocked down or, you know, struggling at a job. You know, failure is staying down. Like Mm -hmm. you can get up from your mistakes, you know, you can, you could not get a job, but why are you going to let that hold you down? You know? Mm -hmm. And I listened to a speaker this morning and and he mentioned about the word poor and I'm like, okay, like, yeah, it's, it's not your fault that you're born into a poor situation, but it's fault that you, you know, it's your fault that you die from a poor situation. It's like, how are you going to better your life? Like, you know, every morning when you wake up, you have the choice to either, you know, lay in bed, hit the snooze button over and over again, or you, you could roll over and get out of bed, go out and make a difference in someone's life. Like the choice is yours on how you want to live life. Like, do you want to be a go-getter or do you just want to lay in bed and have stuff handed to you each and every day? Mm-hmm. And, you know, from day one, when I was injured, the first thing is I wanted to be on prosthetic legs because I didn't want to sit in a wheelchair and have to look up at somebody like I want to look them face to face. Yeah. And I yep. want, you know, because, and I also didn't want somebody to take care of me. I didn't want somebody to be there at my begging call, like, oh, I need this or help me do this. Like, I wanted to learn how to do it on my own. 
And sure. we went, we talked about it earlier about being organized and having that routine. Like I do the same thing every day over and over again. And I know where everything is, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I'm not like, my wife does not follow me around the house. Like, okay, here's this, here's this. You know? <laughs> just, yep. Yep. And I, I, but I think it, a big part of that has got to be your acceptance of where you are, like really truly looking at where it is and, and not denying that it's happening at exactly. the same time. Yep. Yeah. I understood that, you know what, I, I knew the risk of when I signed up in the military and what could happen to me. Uh, and this is not what I imagined, but you know what, after I injured, I understood that, okay, this happened to me again, mm-hmm. the legs aren't growing back. The vision's yep. not getting any better right now. Why, why do you, why, why be depressed? Why let that drag me down? Like this is my choice in life. Yeah. I'm going to live with it. You know, and, and when I realized that these are my injuries, that I'm going to try to live a just as normal life as, as you do, as anyone with legs or vision does. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's not going to slow me down. And it's just, this is the, the life I've been given. And you talk about the no legs, the no vision, you know, the no legs part. It's like, yeah, the legs aren't growing back. You know, they're not going to grow back. But I got to be comfortable in my own skin. I got to yeah. be, understand that. I lost these legs for freedom. I lost these legs for the Marine Corps, for the brother to my left and right. You know, I lost these legs because they didn't lose their legs. I lost yeah. these legs for my family, you know, and, and it's just the no vision part. My daughter asked me one night when we were in the, I was giving her a bath and she's like, daddy, what happened to your eyes? And the one thing my wife wanted my daughter to have when she was born was my blue eyes. I'm like, you know what, honey, I don't, I can't see right now, but you have my eyes, you have my vision. You know, I see through you and, and you know what? No legs, no vision. And at the end of the day, that gives me no problem. Like I'm, I'm hopeful one day I'll see again, I'll see my family, yeah. but I'm not going to let it slow me down or drag, you know, limit my, my life right now. That's awesome. Yeah. And to be honest, I was having a pretty shit day before we got on the phone today. So thanks for getting me out of that mood as part of this call. That's for sure. So <laughs> Well, thank you. Uh, I'm glad you said a cuss word there because I had to hold back a few times because I didn't know if. You, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Right. If if they're gonna, just, I know you're a marine, so you know, let them all. Well, maybe oh. not let it all hang out, but yeah, it's not a kids show or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you you um, broke the awkwardness there. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's so. When does your wife come into the picture? When did you meet her? Uh, the first weekend I moved to North Carolina, which nice. I always joke with people. I'm like, it was love at first sight, you know, and, um, <laughs> and you know, and. And it's amazing. Like I moved to North Carolina thinking that that would be a a greater difference in others lives and stuff. And, and it didn't work out the way I thought it would be. They gave me the opportunity to stay in San Antonio or go to North Carolina. And I chose North Carolina. And thankfully I did because you know, the first weekend I met, you know, my, my, my soon to be wife. And, Mm -hmm. and that was 11 years ago, just a few weeks ago, actually. What was her, did she ever tell you what her first thoughts were when she, when you guys met? Um, just the go getter, like, you know, yeah. uh, did she work at the hospital that you were, that you were stationed at or, or anything she, like that? Or she did. No, she didn't. Um, and okay. by that time I was kind of, I was out of the hospital by then I was kind of living. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I was on okay. my own. I was on my own program then, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was just like she was. She saw the the willingness to like not let my injuries define who I am as a person. You know, the, the go getter, like not back down from a, t- a challenge. Like you know, and accept the opportunities that 
you know, if it's a, a marathon or a bike, whatever it is like that, I never backed down from or shot away from anything. And, and, and she also saw the fact that where like, I wasn't limited by my injuries. Like I can take care of myself and sure. I didn't let these injuries define who I am as a person. And so I, I think all that, you know, and what was your first, like we connected. Yeah. What was your first date? What was your first date? We went to uh, uh, this restaurant in, in Swansboro, North Carolina. I think it's okay. I don't think it's there anymore. It's called the Ice House. But you know, the, the first weekend like we were out is like a kayaking trip and we just sat next to each other, just texting back and forth, sitting next to each other, like we we're about to twelve year old, you know. <laughs> it was just, uh, um, but you know, it was just uh, a year exactly a year later from the first day we met, I proposed to her in Myrtle Beach on the beach and awesome. um when a year later after a year after that we got married at Emerald Isle, which was the first place we we kind of really hung out. So it was just mm-hmm. you know and I drug a Rhode Island girl to Kentucky and everybody's always like, where, where, how did a Rhode Island girl meet a Kentucky boy? I'm like Jacksonville, North Carolina. Exactly. Yep. Yep. What was she doing in North Carolina then? Just living and working or, or. She was working down there as well. And um, so we kind of, she helped us get situated to the area and get familiar and kind of just, you know, we become really good friends and then that thing just, it just led to something else. And so. That's awesome. Yeah. So you got married, did you say 2012? 2012. Yep. 2012. Okay. Awesome. So coming up on 10 years. So what have yeah. you learned from being married for, for that long? Um, <laughs> that your wife's a saint or, or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really. I, I put my wife through so much stuff that, you know, she's a, in, in, in my phone, I got her called warrior princess, you know, awesome. and she's got her business degree from university of Hawaii and, very selfless, caring, compassionate. She will do everything and anything for our family, for me to get me where I need to go, get our kids where they need to go. And I mean, it, like she has put her life to the, to the back burner to take care and focus on us. And, you know, and these are the things that I've learned over the last, you know, since we've been married, it's like, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a yes kind of person. People invite me to do so many things. And I just want to tell them yes all the time, but you know, I, I need to realize that like, I do have a family here and yeah. they, they are my ultimate priority that, you know, sometimes it's okay to say no, like, yeah. because saying no to people will keep me here with my family saying yes, takes me away from them. And mm-hmm. although I love to travel and go out and do these things, like I had to really limit on what I want to do because you know, when I'm gone, it, it just puts way more stuff on her plate now. Like she's already got a lot of stuff on her plate. And it's just like, these are things that I've had to focus on a lot and, you know, and just like sit back and think about like, you know, how, like you talk about being blessed and grateful, like finding an amazing woman who, who didn't look at my injuries and who wasn't scared of my injuries, who looked within, you know, and. Well, and she didn't pity you or anything like that either. Right. Oh gosh. She treats yeah. me the same way. Those women <laughs> nurses and Marines treated me like in the hospital, you know, when I kept telling them, no, no, no they kept saying, yes, yes, yes. You know, it's, she doesn't baby me, you know, and she's, she's so hard on me, but it's like, okay, like, I don't want to be babied. You know, I don't even want you to feel, I don't even want to feel like you're babying me. Yeah. Yeah. And the more you travel and do those other things, you're missing out on time with your daughter and the other kids and, and things like that as well. Right. 
So most definitely. And, um, and, 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 and I've learned through life, it goes so fast. And, you know, I feel like the older I get now, it, it gets faster and faster. Like, you know, it didn't go, it wasn't very fast growing up, but I sense it now. <laughs> yeah. and I remember everybody telling me that when I was in high school. Yeah. Uh, so oh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just agreeing yeah. with you because I'm, I'm 51 and I got a one and a half year old, so I can definitely empathize with that, that, that uh, time flies, but he, he doesn't care if I had a bad day or not. He doesn't. And I've got five and or six and eight year olds now. They just had birthdays, but to go along with my 19 year old and they don't care if I had a bad day, they just still want to play. They want dad at the end of the day. And, and that's all that matters to them. Yeah. I'm reading a a book now called stronger fathers and stronger daughters. And it mentions a lot. It mentions a lot in that book. And, and I've always shared with people that I think we can learn a lot from kids, you know, and I look at my daughter who's nine years old, who just wakes up in a, in a happy mood. She loves life. She lives life. You know, she's not, frustrated or depressed on like what's going on in the outer world she just simply loves life and like you know she's very content with you know being playing by herself you know she can entertain herself and (laughs) I remember growing up too I mean that's how we used to get along you know like yeah nobody would be playing or whatever but you go out and grab basketball and you start shooting hoops and the next thing you know you got a whole neighborhood of kids there or absolutely you know you go in the backyard and you grab your, your your glove and your ball and you just throw the ball up in the air and you catch it like there, there was like, you'd be very content with just doing things on your own, you know, and but just getting outside and just simply just enjoying life. Yeah, and I think too many kids get caught up in their video games, their phones, or whatever these days, and don't and forget to just be involved in life for real. This yep. today, yep. yeah, yeah. So when did your so you've got you use that hashtag of no legs, no vision, no problem you know, where did you, what are you trying to do with that? Or where did the idea come for that? I think I, I don't even know when I actually started that. I, I'm a huge <laughs> Chesney fan and I'm like, well, you know what? I got leg, the legs and the vision can like be replaced in there. And, and I started putting it on Facebook when I would do, I think it was like the, a marathon or a Spartan race and, and sure. it just kind of stuck. Like people kept following along with it. And for me, it's just, I think the no legs and no vision can be replaced for anything. Like, like we all struggle. We all have bad, difficult days. It doesn't matter if it's a, a migraine or if it's an amputation, if it's burned, whatever it is like, but mostly it's like the no problem part is the most important part. you know, it's like, you know, we can't let like those bad days dictate how we want to live life. Like we got to push through, we got to, you know, the other hashtag I use is just walk. You know what? Each step for me is a step in the unknown. Like, I don't know where it's going. I don't know if it's going to run me into a wall or off a curb, but moving forward, like we just got to keep moving forward. And we got to understand that at the end of the day, when we put our head on the pillow. We're going to wake up to a brand new day, a brand new day. That's going to give us opportunities. It's going to give us challenges and adversities. And, you know, God didn't lay out life for us to walk through a perfect road. You know, he gave us obstacles and mountains and rivers and, you know, for us to take these detours and these adversities, but we got to persevere and we got to push forward. And and to me, that's like the no legs, no vision, no problem that just walk, whatever it is. It's just like, we got to find a way to live life to the fullest and understand that we all struggle, but we could take our struggles and we can make the best of the situation by keep moving forward, you know? And, and, you know, if you know somebody that's struggling, you could reach out to them, pick up the phone, give them a call, go to their house, you know, be there for them don't let them struggle alone, you know, and 
I was reading a book by Joe Thosman and he mentioned the word team together. Everyone achieves more. Like all we need to be is to stick together. You know, we can accomplish anything by sticking together. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. When you take that, when you, when you engage with somebody, I mean, how do you help them directly to, to kind of work through that? Is it just talking to them? Or are you just trying to help understand what's going on with them? How do you kind of help dig into somebody that you're, that you're talking to? A little bit of all of it, but, but just to be a friend, like, like when I told you earlier, it's like, I, I love meeting new people. I love like, yeah, I'll share my story and I'll talk with you and stuff like that. But I want to get to know you more than you want to get to know me. And, and I think that's the most important part. Like, you know, like, like people don't talk to anyone these days. People aren't like respectful and cordial to other people today. And it's just like, I just like, I'll sit there and, interrogate you you know or <laughs> you know and just ask you questions over and over again because i, I want to get to know you you know and it's just yeah. you know i always tell people that i want you to leave our conversation better off than when you got here yeah. like if it's if you're down and you're not feeling good i want you to at least have a smile on your face or laugh a little bit you know and mm-hmm. like people don't understand the point like laughter and humor like i learned early on that okay if i can't make fun of myself I'm not going to get through this life, you know, because I got a bunch of smart ass friends, you know, who like throwing out their little jokes on social media or whatever. And person, you know, it's like, if I can't handle that, then then I can't live this life. And, and it's just, I just love to smile. I love to laugh. And I I just love to be around people who are positive, who I know, like when I'm having those bad days, I can pick up the phone, I can call them and they'll pull me right back onto the road that I want to be on. Awesome. So did those, uh, and speaking of like the, the names thing or whatever, did the Marine Corps have, have the SEALs kind of had where they'd give you a handle and it'd usually be something offensive. Did the Marine Corps have something like that as well? Just not something maybe offensive, but something that they knew mm-hmm. might make you upset or whatever, or, or was designed to kind of embarrass you or something along those lines. Anything like that? No, unfortunately. No. And Maybe if I like if I'd have got out of the Marines in my own unit, but I think yeah, oh sure, yeah. yeah. I feel like for and being in the Marines, like the embarrassing part is just going out all the time and sharing stories, and uh, you know, like <laughs> I, I mentioned about being in Montana, like still talking about stories, and you never shared more than shared the story more than once. You know, it's just yeah. like that's the embarrassing part, and especially when you get around like your wife or whatever and then she starts hearing these stories and it's like yeah i did that back in the day you know (laughs) yeah yeah i know my wife does uh i mean it's not even comparable experience but like my college friends and stuff when we get together and trading stories from 20 years ago it's like oh my wife's heard that one before she's heard that one before all that kind of stuff my wife a lot of times my wife is like i'm just gonna go in the room or let you all (laughs) hang out out here Exactly. But so, I mean, I've seen you do, you've been doing some bike training and things like that. Did you actually do a bike race or do you, is that coming up or um, I've done, are you still working on it? Two years ago, I, I had the idea of, um, like I hand cycle a lot. And then I, okay. I was around a guy that was on an upright tandem bike and, yep. and I got in my mind, I'm like, hmm, I could, I could try this, you know? And yeah. So, and, you know, I went out there and I did the Seattle report. I think we did 167 out of 204 miles. And that was my first ever bike ride on the upright <laughs> tandem. And then, first time ever? Was yeah, just first doing, time ever. Okay. And then, well, two, well, why work your way up to it, right? Let's just jump right in. So. Yeah, and that was in the middle of July, too, I believe. And then 
um, uh, in August of 2019, I, I had in my mind about I'd like to cycle across the state of Kentucky from Ashland, which is in the northeast corner, to Fort Campbell, which is kind of in the southwest. Mm-hmm. And um, and we ended up doing that from August 14th to August 18th. It was a total of 407 awesome. miles awesome. in the middle of August. Yeah, I, I didn't pick that date. But but it, it was something that I really enjoyed. And, um, you know, the last day we were, at, we were 13 miles to go from Hopkinsville, Kentucky to Fort Campbell. And uh, the Warrior Transition Unit from Fort Campbell came out and the bikers, they, the cyclists, they rode with us. Awesome. And uh, they come to me and they was like, we're going to do a century ride next month. We would love for you to come down. We'll, we'll you know, give you per diem or whatever, help you come down. We got a tandem rider that could ride with you. I'm like, if you're going to come out on a Sunday and ride with me for 13 miles, then I'm going to do what it takes to get down here and ride with you all. Yeah. So went out there and did a century ride with them. And then um, just last month, I knocked out another century ride here in, in, in Georgetown, Kentucky called the Horsey 100. Awesome. It's just, uh, I enjoy doing it. And, um, you know, so I, I got a stationary bike in the garage that I'll get on at least an hour, you know, for a while I was on there every day for at least an hour, but it's, it's getting a little too hot out there for me now. So, but, um, but I just, I, I love the, the, the cardio, the physical fitness, the staying active. And, yeah. you know, I always tell people that when someone sees me and that doesn't know my story, I want them to look at me as like, Oh, he, he served in the military in some branch, like he's in shape. And, yeah. I feel like I'm in better shape now with no legs and no vision than I was with legs and vision. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So where are you, where are you going to take things? What, what are your plans for the rest of the year? Do you have much planned out for the, for the year? So I do work with uh, an, another nonprofit organization called Troops First Foundation. And, and we go around and speak at in town halls on military bases about uh, military suicide and resiliency call operation. Where call. Okay. We got an event um, at Cherry Point in July and then we got another one at the end of August in 29 Palms. And then a couple of speaking engagements in, in October and November. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and there we do have a, I do have a three-day bike ride in September called the uh, Bourbon Country Burn. It begins and ends each day at the Kentucky Horse Park. And they go to each distillery, bourbon nice. distillery in Kentucky. And it totals <laughs> within those three days, like 240 miles. Nice. So, um but you know, it, uh, your day doesn't end at the distillery. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. You know I'm, I'm on the back seat, so I can just sit back there and just relax. You know. But, exactly. Um, yep. But you know, thankfully, like a, a lot of more speaking engagements are starting to pop up more here, and um, yeah, you know, I, I I love sharing my story, and I love getting out because I know. You know, if it's a crowd of 10 to 200, whatever the number is, like one or two people are walking into that room mm-hmm. in a bad place. And yeah. one of the stories I always share from a few years ago, I did an event with Toby Keith down in Nashville and I made an Instagram post and um, just talking about like my life and like where it's gone and, and how I live life today. And like, I, I can't believe that, you know, I'm so grateful for all these opportunities and some lady somehow found my, she found the post because she's a huge Toby Keith fan. She Googled my story. I don't know how she got my email, but she sent me an email and was like, Matt, you don't know me and we will never meet. But if it wasn't for me reading your story tonight, then I would have committed suicide. Wow. And, and for me right there, that's like my purpose every day, because I know like, it doesn't matter if you're in uniform or not, like people struggle and somewhere 
someone is struggling and they need like you to speak up. They need somebody to talk to. And, and this is what I gained from like, like I'll go to speaking engagements and people will be like, Hey, I I caught this out of your story. I caught this out of your story and I'm going to go do this. Or I've had a kid walk up and say, I I love your story. It was so motivating. I'm gonna go reenlist. I'm like, don't tell your dad that, you know, (laughs) but it's just, I, I, you know, when I first got hurt, I made a promise to myself and I realized that, you know, God kept me alive for a reason and let's get out and to inspire and motivate others to live beyond the bare minimal, to go out and live life to the fullest. And if I can inspire and motivate one person a day, then that's why God kept me alive. Awesome. Awesome. That is an awesome message. And thank you so much for taking the time to, to come on here today. So uh, I will definitely, so I think I've, I've mentioned it on the podcast a few times, my wife and family and I are traveling around the country. If we make it down, we will be somewhere near Kentucky. So we'll see what we can do about getting down closer there. And maybe we can, maybe we can figure out something and, and uh, hook up sometime. So. Most definitely. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, yeah. Please let me know. I'll be yeah. here waiting for you. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. Um, so uh, Matt Bradford, if you want to find him on Instagram, it's M underscore Bradford underscore USMC. Do you have a, do you do Facebook at all too, or just mainly Instagram or, or Twitter? Well, I, I do them all. I just started Instagram because I always told my wife, because she typically ran my Instagram, like I'm a blind guy. Yeah. I don't want to look at pictures. But I'm like, <laughs> so I feel like I need to get more active on Instagram, but my Facebook is no legs, no vision, no problem. Okay. Um, Twitter is at bionic Matt five and the bionic is with a K not a C. Cause I wanted to be okay. young and hip. Yep. But, yep. Uh, but you know, my, my website is, you know, www.matthew-bradford.com. And um, yeah, it's, um, I'm, I'm very accessible. I, I, you know, if you message me, I, I, I respond back pretty quickly. And if awesome. I don't respond back within the day, then I feel very bad and I feel, I feel rude that, so uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know please reach yeah. out and stuff like that and yeah yep yeah that's awesome so uh one I, I the only other question i can think of having to do with the suicide thing is is have you had guys from your units that that decided that they needed that permanent solution to i, the- I have yeah. uh two of them last year actually and uh oh, man you know, it's, it's sad through this pandemic with the, the deaths with 600,000, I believe, but, but the number that the people don't tend to not mention is the military suicide. And I tell you, it's, uh, we lost 23 Marines on our deployment and I've lost probably close to 15 friends due to suicide. Oh man. You know, and it's, uh, when you get those phone calls, like you don't want to answer it, but you have to answer it. And I had a friend commit suicide and, uh, it was, uh, I found out the day after Thanksgiving, but, a week in, or a week and a half earlier, he called me and I selfishly let it go to a uh, voicemail and I didn't answer it. And I never called him back. Like, yeah. I, I, I didn't know what that call meant. I didn't know if it was, he needed to hear my voice, but yeah. he took his life and, uh, and, and he was a very positive guy. Um, yeah. So it, it, it could happen to all of us. And that's why we just need to learn to stay in touch and, and go through your phone and call people, you know, and make sure they're okay. Listen to each other, talk, you know, reach out. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Definitely. All right. Well, I think I've probably kept you. Uh, we could probably keep going here if you wanted to, but uh, probably kept you long enough and let you get some dinner or something like that. But uh, I really appreciate you coming on, Matt. And and uh, uh, I just uh, like I said before, your message has been really inspirational for me, and I'm just glad you're able to come on and let me share it with uh, with some of my listeners too. So. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. And hey, if you're having those bad days, give me a call. We'll Will do. Will do. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for coming on, Matt. And uh, again, I, I will put his links up and everything on as part of the podcast. But uh, for Grow Too Amazing, this is Tony. I'm out. Mm-hmm.